Sincerely thank you from the bottom of my heart for uh, changing your schedule and making a sacrifice for being here. And we pray that it'll be worth your while. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we've gathered now, really not for our sake, but for your sake. We think we're here because you led us to be here. Now, Lord, let this time be a time not only with each other and not just to learn history, but let it be a time with you. May the Spirit of God open our minds to understand the Scripture. And Lord, may this experience and this time together lead us to higher ground, personally and in our church. And may your cause prevail. May the Word of God prevail in Wisconsin and in the world. Lord, the world is dark, but we are the light of the world. And our light comes from you. So Lord, may our light brighten as we yield to you and let you have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, this is an important thing to do. We're going to get ourselves kind of scripturally set for what we're about to think, the atmosphere. I'm going to need, I think, about seven people willing to read, not just one verse, but a few verses each. None of them have a hard word in it like Mephibosheth. Okay, so don't be scared. I need people who can read the English uh, language fairly well. And uh, you're not afraid of this group, and you've got a loud voice, male or female, okay? And if I can have volunteers like that, I'll right now give out where we're going to read. You'll see how this all goes together. But I'd like you to have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 4, everybody. But then a few of you will be reading some other places from the Acts of the Apostles, okay? All right, where are my volunteers? I need somebody, okay? Yes, sir. Uh, Acts 2, 1 through 11. That's a long way. Okay, you're next. Acts 2, 40 through 47. Okay, now we're all going to be looking at Acts 4, so that's the next one. Acts 5, verses 25 through 33. All right, another volunteer on, okay, yes, sir. Acts 6, 7, just one verse you got off easy. Acts 6, 7. Okay, now several verses in Acts 7. Who will do that? Yes, sir. Acts 7, 54 through 60. Okay, now, the plan of God for the redemption of the world included centrally and primarily the coming of his son into the world to be a man to rescue us from our sins. The second Adam came to undo the damage the first Adam did. And that's our story in the Bible. When he came, of course, he taught and did wonderful things, miracles, volunteered to die as the sacrifice for our sins, and did. Three o'clock in the afternoon, he was heard to cry, it is finished. He had paid for our sins. Then on the third day, he rose from the dead. And he was with his uh, followers, especially the 12 apostles, now for 40 days. You know, some people will say that the evidence for his resurrection is not very strong. Uh, they will say, I had a man uh, who was a Jewish man, but an atheist. And uh, he told me that I was a lawyer all my life. And eyewitness testimony is the poorest testimony you can have. Eyewitnesses will contradict. But, they, you know, we have eyewitnesses to say he rose from the dead. But I said to him, I didn't say it because I can't think on my feet. Are you, do you have that problem? But later I thought about this. Wait a minute. You've never seen anything like the eyewitnesses they had. These weren't people who just caught a glimpse of him or thought they saw him. 
They were with him for 40 days and there were hundreds of them who went to their death saying he arose from the dead. Matter of fact, they were often offered not only to have their life spared, but to become rich and famous if they would just expose the lie. If one of them had said he didn't rise from the dead, this is a hoax, they would have been famous, taken all over the Roman world to undo the damage of the gospel news. But they didn't. They all went to cruel deaths, going to the end, hundreds of them saying, he is risen from the dead. Okay, he rose from the dead. Now, here was the plan. These people were to go to the whole world and tell everybody in the world what God had done for our salvation. This was no small part of the plan of redemption. In Luke 24, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, says, It behooved Christ, according to the scriptures, to suffer and die, rise again the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations. And then he says, And you are witnesses of these things. But tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high, the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Ghost. Did you know, I don't want to be irreverent, but did you know that our part in God's plan of redemption is essential, like his part? Amen. Came, died, rose again, but if people never heard the story, it is as if God never loved the world. God never gave his son, and God never promised to save those who would believe. If they never heard, it's as if it never happened. As if God doesn't care. As if Jesus, they must hear. In a way, our part is just as important. And we must have the Holy Ghost. Tell you, if our witness has no effect, then you know the plan of redemption isn't going to work. So they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And then a wonderful story begins that continues to this day. I discovered several years ago, not discovered, we're all Bible readers, that the book of Acts, which records what the Christians did after Jesus went to heaven, is an open-ended book. It has no beginning. The former treatise, if I made oath Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So what Jesus began is going to be continued by the Holy Spirit inside believers. Okay, and no, no beginning. It just picks up on the end of the book of Luke. And it has no ending. Have you ever noticed how it ends? Paul ends up in prison. They say they're going to execute him. Did they? I don't think they did, but it doesn't tell us. It leaves us with him in, under house arrest, uh, spreading the gospel to the Jews in Rome. And that's a big controversy. Did he die that time in the first? I don't think he did. I think it was the second time. We're not told it's an open-ended book. No beginning. No end. It doesn't go. Doesn't say the end. No. Why? Here's why. Book of Acts is a conduit from Jesus to now. Yeah. Now, so let's read, uh, we're going to hear this in our ears, some of the things from the day of Pentecost. So chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, of course, you can look them up, but somebody's going to read these as we go. Go ahead, loud and clear. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, 
They were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak, which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia, and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt, and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene, and the strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. All right, on the day of Pentecost, the Christians filled with the Holy Ghost go out into the great crowds that gathered in Jerusalem for the festival day of Pentecost, and uh, they're all speaking about this. <laughs> the one that was killed at the last feast day has risen from the dead, and Jesus is the Savior of the world. Now, before he went back to heaven on the crest of the Mount of Olives, Jesus Christ said, Ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, this city, and in all Judea and in Samaria, and under the uttermost part of the earth. That was and is the plan. Okay? So it all begins. And everybody's talking. What's happening? These Galileans from up north, uh, they're speaking many different languages, all our languages from around the world, telling us about Jesus. What is this about? So they put up the big fisherman, Simon Peter, who certainly had marred his reputation. The last time he spoke in public, he was cursing and swearing and denying that he was a Christian. But now cleansed and full of the Holy Ghost, he is put up before a great crowd and he speaks about the wonderful works of God, especially the life and death, resurrection of Jesus Christ and the purpose of it all. Now, let's see what happens at the end of uh, his sermon, verses 44 through 47. Yes, sir. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and had all things common. And sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. What happened on the day of Pentecost, and what is Pentecost? Well, on one level, it is a transition, okay, from the Old Covenant to the new. God's people before Jesus came basically were, and on another level are, the nation of Israel. God had a covenant with them, okay? 
Now, when it was transitioned from the old covenant to the new covenant, now God's people are believers in Jesus Christ assembled in churches. Uh, then the main difference about the daily life of a New Testament believer and the daily life of an Old Testament believer is the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost didn't live inside them. He was with them, but not in them. But since Pentecost on, he's been in us. And the Bible says in Ephesians, when we believed, we were sealed with the Holy Ghost. And I didn't know anything about it. I don't know if you did. But on that day, my body became a temple. And God lived inside me. And I could see the difference. I didn't know what it was. I'd had to be taught. But ever since Pentecost, every time somebody believes, the Holy Ghost comes in. That's why it's called born of the Spirit. Okay. So, wow. Quite an amazing thing. He's God given us a job to do. Now, on one level, Pentecost is a transition. And on that level, it will never happen again. But on another level, it's a revival. It's a revival. Because they weren't just sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's what happened when I got saved. They were filled with the Spirit. Jesus said before going back to heaven, here's the job. Repentance and remission of sins must be preached in my name to all nations. Then he says, but tarry in Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high. Power to be a witness, effective. That happens when a believer sealed with the Spirit is filled with the Spirit. Matter of fact, that's one definition of revival. When people who are sealed with the Spirit are finally filled with the Spirit, that's a revival. They were filled. Now, you might say, well, I still don't think Pentecost can be repeated. It was. Matter of fact, you have your Bible open to chapter 4. The church in Jerusalem had trouble, and they were threatened and told, you cannot speak in the name of Jesus in this town anymore. It's against the law. But now you're looking at verse 29 of chapter 4. What do they do? They call CLA? Did they get placards and demonstrate against the government? No, they had a prayer meeting. Okay. And in the prayers, they say, verse 29, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. I'll pause to say they were still on the Acts 1-8 program. Filled with the Spirit, evangelized the city, then the country, and through the church, the uttermost part of the earth. They were still on the program. And when they were threatened, they didn't have a prayer meeting for protection. Not one word about protection. Not, Lord, spare us. You know what they prayed? They said, Lord, they're threatening us, so don't let us lose our nerve. We're going to go forward with the program. Grant unto thy servants with all boldness that they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken, an earthquake, where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they speak the word of God with boldness. And the Acts 1-8 plan went forward from there. A very, very exciting story about how they continued to evangelize their world in the power of the Holy Ghost. And here's another Pentecost. The words are the same. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spake 
Those are exact words from Acts 2. Happened again. Now look, we don't need to have a new trans, another transition from the Old Testament to the New. That'll never happen again. But we do need revivals. And here, they were under a certain amount of trepidation because of the threats. So they needed to pray for revival. Get us back on track. They were refilled with the Spirit. Sealed happens once. Filled must happen more than once. So they had a prayer meeting, were refilled with the Spirit. They went back to the program. Boy, oh boy, that's great. And that's revival. Now, chapter 5, verses 25 through 33. Okay, where's that? So uh, the government didn't just back off. Don't stand up. I'm going to have you read. They, did, they, they came after him again. They said, those people are out there evangelizing again. And they locked him up. And it's actually, the story is kind of funny in a way, but I won't get sidetracked. Read this part, verses 25 through 33. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? What part of don't do you not understand? The high priest, he said, What are you doing? Okay, go ahead. And behold, he have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. There's the charge. You know, you know what? Nowadays, if the government the county uh, passed an ordinance that we couldn't evangelize anymore. Almost all of our members would go, boy, that's too bad. What is this country coming to? I'm going to write a letter to my congressman. <laughs> but for them, it was a lot more practical because you know what? They were doing it every day. Amen. See, a lot of our churches, nobody's doing it. It would just be theoretical. But wow, keep reading. And intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered. Listen to this answer. We ought to obey God rather than men. Amen. Keep going. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom he slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. And when they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. All right. Yes, yeah, now chapter 6 and verse 7. Who's going to do that? We had a volunteer. Yes, sir. And the word of God increased, and the number of the, number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. All right, now watch. They had one program. What's the church about? You know, if you took a survey of your church, what is our church for? It would be interesting how diverse the answers would be. You know what that means? A lot of church members don't even know what the church is about. And, uh, you know, they'll say, to meet the spiritual needs of my family. You know, to marry my kids and to bury my dad. To learn the word of God. Okay, all of those are true to some degree, but the main thing the church is about is this. I told our church back when pastors were being influenced to build their church on a business model, which has been happening for years now. And I'm not against this, but we were told we had to write a mission statement. 
I got up in front of our church. I said this, we're not going to write a mission statement. If you have one, I'm not against it. So don't. We're not going to write a mission statement because the president of the company has already given us the mission statement. Ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. The Holy Ghost. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, evangelism, to the uttermost part of the earth, the world. That's why we're here. They didn't have carpet. They didn't have a youth group. They didn't have a choir. They didn't have a building. But they had church. That's what that was about. Wow. Now watch. The other way of looking at Pentecost, and we're going to read one more place, is this. It was a revival of a Baptist church that benefited the Baptist church. If you go back to Acts 2, you know what you find out? You got a Baptist church. They immersed believers, not babies. They immersed believers. And the members of the church were brethren. See, and the pastors were not priests. They were brethren who taught, were gifted. See, separation of church and state lived to, the, to lead the distinctions you can see in chapter 2. That was a Baptist church. So they were filled with the Holy Ghost. That means it was the revival of a Baptist church with great benefits to the community and to the world. See, and uh, now that's very important for what we're about to talk about in just a moment. Now chapter 7. Uh, they're disobeying the government, and they're getting in trouble. And one of the key men as a witness, martyr, was Stephen. The word martyr means witness. And, of course, you know his story. But listen to how he died. Sometimes I preach on this passage. Chapter 7, verses 54 through 60. Sometimes I call it, what a way to go. Keep going. Go ahead. And said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling on, upon God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had and Saul never got away from that. It was hard for him to kick against the pricks. And, of course, brought the persecutor to salvation. And he became the great evangelist of the first century. Now, here's what I want to say. <clears throat> they were a church that was in revival. Yes, they were. And we're reading what ought to be our, the story of the Christian cause today. That's what we're reading about right now. And here they were, filled with the Holy Ghost, fulfilling our Lord's last command to spread the gospel, not just somewhere, but to their own town, the surrounding area. Finally, send people to the uttermost part of the earth. We have every reason to believe that that commission was fulfilled in the first century. And it certainly ought to be now. Amen. Now we're coming down through history. We're living in the United States of America, which has a history and a history of great revivals. And we are Baptists. And uh, there are things we need to understand and probably do, but maybe don't. And some things about several of these issues that we're confused about that I hope to make 
somewhat clear. Now, I have in front of me intelligent men who have points of view. How do I know you have a point of view? You're a preacher. That's how I know. So we'll go back and forth a little bit here, but I want you to take your paper, your outline, which will be the basis of what I say, and I want you to take notes. All that blank space is important, too, for you to write down, okay? And uh, we'll move ahead and talk about that era before we became independent that secular history calls the Great Awakening. I'll take us back there, then we'll find the Baptist and the role that we played, and it also has to do with the connection with being a Baptist and revival. And there is a connection.